Please open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What a last line. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Think about that. On the surface, we all say, yeah, we totally know that's true. But you and I are bathed in a world that is opposed to that law of reality that Jesus just stated. He is saying life isn't about getting more stuff. Life isn't about acquiring, acquiring, acquiring. There's more to this. And so many times you and I fall for the lie that this life is about just acquiring that one more thing. And how many times have we heard of someone on their, on their deathbed saying, mm, if I had just bought one more juicer from an infomercial, if I had just made one more purchase on Amazon, then my life would be complete. It's a little bit dramatic, but is Are the words of Jesus true that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions? I want to take you on a little bit of a a recent historical journey here and see if if Jesus's words are true or if our culture, if the the, almost the religion of consumerism and consumption, if if those precepts are true. Uh, Starting with, with Freud, he is the one, one of the first ones that came along that said, okay, okay. Um, humans aren't just thinking things. It's not just, I think, therefore I am, but there's these subconscious drives. Scientists call it your primitive brain. The, the scriptures call it our flesh. And he said, there's, there's these things that, that, that drive human behavior. Humans are not rational beings. And ironically, even though Freud was Jewish, the first largest group of people to apply his teachings were the Nazis. And they were masters at propaganda and they were masters at at tapping into those two powerful primal uh, instincts in humanity. I want and I fear. And we know how that turned out. And uh, after the war, uh, his nephew, uh, his name's Edward Bernays. I don't know if that's where Bernays sauce comes from. You can do a Google search on your own, but my mind always goes to food. But he was Freud's nephew, and he brought these ideas back to America with the thought of, well, my uncle was a genius, and someone used these ideas for, for evil. I wonder if I can bring them back to America and use them during peacetime. And uh, he actually became the father of, of American, the grandfather of American advertising and transformed advertising in America. Here is a quote from his book, ironically titled Propaganda. He says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in dramatic and democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. Another guy uh, from Lehman Brothers, Paul Mazur. He was a leading Wall Street kind of economist thinker guy. Uh, We must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, 
to want new things. Even before the old has been entirely consumed, we must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this was written in 1927 in the Harvard Business Review. This isn't like someone uh, in, in 2015. Like this has been going on for a while. And contrast that with Jesus's, Jesus's statement that life does not consist in the abundance of, uh, of possessions. Uh, this guy, an economist, Victor Lebo, said in a, in a retailing um, periodical in 1955, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert to the buying and use of goods and we convert it into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction and our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever increasing rate. So there's been this movement away from production to consumption, this movement, uh, even, even getting rid of things before they wear out. It's called planned obsolescence. It's why many of us want a new iPhone every, what is it, fall or, or the new Android every spring or whatever. Just, we gotta have the new one, we gotta have the new one. This one's perfectly fine. I know, but I want the new one. And most of us know that we see at least 5,000 advertisements every day. And uh, I, I was talking just yesterday with someone saying, uh, do you watch cable TV? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, there's this amazing commercial that, with a really cool message. And I was like, oh, I've seen that commercial. I just saw it before another YouTube video. Um, they're finding at these, these messages are surrounding us every day and they're pointed not at our not at our conscious level. The advertising has shifted from this is what it does, this is why it's better, and now it's pointed towards our primal needs, like our deepest desires and unconscious level. And uh, before we get into uh, comparing these ideas with, with the teachings of Jesus, I don't usually do this, but I wanna just give you some statistics that I found about consumer behavior and cons the consumerist mentality here in the West. The average, um, the average American home has 300,000 items in it. And if you have a four-year-old with Legos, I think that, that, makes the, that really throws off the statistic, I'm sure. And most of them are still stuck in my feet. Um, uh, we consume double the amount of consumer goods that we did just a couple of decades ago. 25% of people with the two-car garage can't fit either car in there just because of clutter. Now, there are different stages of life. I'm not trying to guilt anybody or arm twist anybody. I'm just saying, let, let's just think about this. Uh, this isn't a statistic, but recently uh, during the pandemic, uh, we were doing some spring cleaning and I drove a minivan full of, of things that other people could use. I drove it to a thrift store to donate it. And as I pulled up, there is this amazing volunteer standing on a shipping crate with an aluminum baseball bat in his hands, just jamming as much as he possibly could into this, into this crate. And I pulled up, I said, I'd like to make a donation. And he goes, oh, that's so nice, but we're full. I was like, you're full? He's like, yes, we, we can't accept anymore. I'm trying to fit everything in here. And I thought, oh my goodness, I live in a world where I have too much stuff and I can't give it away. 
Uh, in a recent interview, the the CEO of IKEA said that that in the West we have reached peak consumption, peak consumption. And there's a, in, where I live in Rancho Cucamonga, there was actually a day where I went to multiple thrift stores and everyone was full. Uh, uh, there are 7.3 square feet of storage unit space for every American. We could literally have a nationwide sleepover in storage units if they were all empty. And like I said, no guilt. Sometimes, especially if you live in a big city, you have a storage unit. I, I get it. I'm just saying, like, this is the reality that we live in. And most of us uh, have, uh, the average American has $15,000 in credit card debt. And Jesus says, life is not found in many possessions. That's not where the good life is. And, uh, and I've had this thought before. You may be thinking, oh, well, okay, this, this talk maybe, or these ideas maybe are just for the rich. Like this idea of living simply. Yeah, yeah, those rich folks, they need to, to get rid of some stuff. Uh, and in a sense, it's kind of true. Like the truly poor in the globe and the truly poor in the West, um, they don't call it living simply, they just call it living. But once you get into even lower middle class, th this idea of having too much clutter and, and always pursuing that next purchase and that next acquisition of another thing, it's, it's all over the economic spectrum. So, so it's kind of yes and kind of no. Uh, and there's also this kind of um, idea of like uh, the, uh, we're going to live minimally because we have so much and we're deciding to. But pretty much across the economic spectrum, we're all swimming <laughs> in too much stuff. And it has an effect on our hearts. It has an effect on our thinking. Your brain doesn't function very well in, when there's just too much clutter around. So with all this stuff, with all this access to material goods, are we happier you know, many different sociologists have talked about there's this like number where as you emerge from poverty and, and move through middle class, there's a bell-shaped curve as you approach the number of, of $70,000. And it's probably different depending on the size of your family and where you live in the country. But yeah, once you get to that point, happiness kind of levels off and the more and more you make, instead of your happiness going up, it starts to go down. And uh, uh, study after study is saying the more money you have, the less happier you tend to be. And there's always exceptions to it. And the great philosopher, Notorious B.I.G. says, more money, more problems, right? Can I get a good amen? And some of us are like, I would really like that problem. I get you. Hang on with me, right? Yeah, just for a couple minutes. Um, uh, but what I'm trying to say is that no matter how much money we make, Everybody, even the folks you, you or I, or you know, no matter what your status is, everybody worries about money no matter how much they have. There's this lack, uh, even beyond money, that, that we think, ah, oh, I just don't have enough money. I just don't have enough of this. I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough wisdom for something. There's a lack mentality that has been pushed down. The, the lie has been pushed deep down almost into our, into our cells. But the truth is that we live in God's ordered universe and that there is no shortage of matter in God's universe. And God does not want you to live with a lack mentality. That's bondage. That is slavery. God meant for us to live free.
So one of the one of my favorite spiritual writers, his name's Richard Foster. He wrote uh, Celebration of Discipline, which is filled with different practices that we can use to train ourselves uh, and to train our hearts and minds and bodies to, to be with Jesus. And um, uh, I just love that book. But he has a book on just on simplicity, and he talks about consumerism. And this is how he uh, how he talks about it. He says, it's a rival religious philosophy about what constitutes blessedness. And he goes on to say, and we in the West are guinea pigs in one huge economic experiment in consumption. I'm not like this huge conspiracy guy or anything like that. But as we look around, as we think about some of those statistics and even just our own experience, we can ask ourselves, is all this wealth, is access to all these material consumable goods, is it making us happier? Is it making you happier? Is it making me happier? There's that line from the, the famous tycoon Rockefeller. They asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, mm, just a little bit more. And how often do we fall into that thinking ourselves? How much is enough of, of whatever? We think, ooh, just a, just a little bit more. So we see that this isn't making our society or us, if we're honest as individuals, happier having more stuff. So is there a practice from Jesus's life and from Jesus's teaching that will guide us into true contentment? Is there a practice from Jesus's life that will reduce our anxiety and help us to live uh, in a different way? Than, than looking at the world through a mentality of lack. I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. Please uh, go back to Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. And um, I really would love it if you had a Bible with you, because I'm going to read and, and kind of comment here in between some of these verses. So if you have a paper Bible, open it to Luke chapter 13 or, or follow along in, uh, in our YouVersion Bible app uh, notes or in your YouVersion Bible. Verse 13, again. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what we can kind of lose here is that, that um, this was a normal practice of brothers to invite, uh, to divide the father's inheritance. And usually the older brother, well, always the older brother got more than the younger brother. And what's really going on here uh, in, in the context of this is this guy is asking Jesus to endorse his greed in a very socially acceptable way. And uh, he goes on, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, I'm not your lawyer. <laughs> then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. And that word greed is, is, is uh, almost a similar idea and picture to lust. Greed is to material possessions as lust is to what we do with our bodies and our hearts and our desires. Like, watch out for this. It's dangerous. And there's all kinds of it. There's all kinds of greed. Uh, those of us that grew up with brothers and sisters, and we're looking at that last meatball on the table. Uh, uh, those of us that are wanting to move up in the world, greed, it's, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. And Jesus says, watch out. And it's a double warning watch out. Be careful. This is red lights flashing. Watch out for all kinds of greed. And this is the statement again. Um, I'm saying it over and over on purpose that life does not consist in an abundance of possession. Uh, so, and he's saying, in other words, 
This is not where the good life is found. Uh, moving on. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man. So this could be any person. Just a, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, notice the ground yielded the harvest. You know, when we, we plant our seeds and we do our work, God's the one that makes it rain. God's the one that makes the seeds grow. And also, uh, this rich man probably wasn't out in the field. There was other workers involved in this huge harvest. And, uh, and we got to get that because we're not in first century Palestine. Um, and he, he continues, uh, he thought to himself, this rich man, what should I do? I have no place to store all of my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Notice the waste, just tearing down all these barns to build bigger ones to keep all of his stuff. And what we miss here in, in the English, in the original language, there's this repetition of pronouns. I will build, what should I do with my stuff? Well, I will do this. I'll tear down the barns and build bigger ones. Therefore, I will store all of my surplus grain. So this is also a rhetorical question. Most of these folks knew the, the Old Testament, the Torah, the law. They knew it really well. They knew that there was a scriptural com command for the rich to, to care for and to share with the poor. That, that would have gone off as a warning. Like, what do you mean? You don't even have to ask the question. Jesus is having a little fun with this now. And he said, he goes on to say, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Move, move to Southern California, uh, get a house at the beach, put life in autopilot, keep all you can. I mean, just don't worry about anything else. And, and notice the movement here from a life of contribution to a life of consumption. And this, this life where his mentality is, if I live a life of hedonism and just eat, drink, and be merry, that is what, oh, then I'll be living that hashtag blessed life. But then God said to him, Jesus says, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is an intellectual word, you fool. It's like, that is a stupid way to live. Like, you, no, no. The stuff I've given you so it can flow through you. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You're supposed to share all of this stuff. And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So Jesus's point in this whole story is that the good life uh, and there is rest in Jesus, but the good life isn't throwing things into autopilot and having our every whim and every desire uh, just selfishly pointed at us. The good life is found in what Jesus's teachings are. And now in my study for this, I came across this, that 25% of Jesus's teachings are about money. So from here on out, Every fourth week, we're going to talk about money here. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we, we will not do that. But I think this is interesting because Jesus understands the human condition and knows how our hearts are so closely tied to things. Like this is a part of being human. And that's why he hits on it so much. He knows our soul's inner dynamic. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, that, that, 
English, that Greek word makarios, it means uh, one of the literal translations is lucky or happy, like it is happier. And science has even um, uh, shown that too, like it is more happy to give than to receive. We do get a hit from acquiring something, a little, uh, a little hormone hit when that happens, but that's like in our fight or flight system and our stress. But when we give, our stress goes down. Uh, it's amazing how how a lot of our a lot of our learning and our science is catching up to what Jesus said and taught two thousand years ago. He also says you cannot serve both God and money. Doesn't say you should not serve both God and money, or you might not be able to. Like it is impossible. Only one thing is going to be the driving force in your life. Either it's God or money. And Matthew 19 says, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It happens, but it's hard. And he's not saying it's wrong. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have a lot of things, but where's our heart? Are we a conduit for God's grace, a conduit for God's blessing? Or are we falling for the lie that says, oh, we can just put life on autopilot, cruise control, and not have to depend on God for anything. Uh, and notice that, that when Jesus talks about these, um, these money or, or possessions or greed, it's blowing me away to think about that this isn't a list of rules. Jesus is making a statement about the way this, this world works, this existence works. He's not saying, oh, you have one too many pairs of shoes, hell, or you, oh, that collection of baseball cards. Mm -mm. It, it's not this legalism thing. Like Jesus is just saying, this is how it is. This is how reality works. Uh, and it's not a list of legalistic do's and don'ts. This is uh, a matter of whether our heart is pointed towards God and our life is moving towards Jesus or is it moving towards something else? Other New Testament writers agree. First um, Timothy chapter six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And then just a, a letter over in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So Jesus and the New Testament writers agree that, that the love of money is what bends our hearts away from God, away from other people, and towards ourselves. And I have to admit, like when I was a teenager and even into my 20s and 30s, I would read these things and think, yes, that is the right way to live. But oh my gosh. I still want stuff. <laughs> I, just, uh, I, I still want, I, I, they, didn't sign, they didn't sound good to me. But I knew they were right, but they didn't sound good. And I don't know if you hear the, the difference there, but I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's how, how deep the lie 
uh, of the lies of this world and the propaganda of this world had sunk into my heart that that Jesus could actually teach something that was right but wouldn't be the best for me and uh, I kind of stumbled into this and by the way please give me lots of grace on this because I know talking about simplicity kind of sets yourself up for scrutiny uh, Marie and I have been on this journey for a decade or so in our own way and kind of stumbling into this or that and um, the simplifying bills or simplifying how much stuff we have, but we're by no means perfect. Our version of simplicity with three kids in the suburbs is suburban at best, but I'm realizing as I declutter my inner life and declutter my outer life and, and point my heart towards God and not other stuff, I am finding so much stinking freedom. Like there's margin in my life. Uh, decluttering a schedule, decluttering all these things, uh, the greed of just wanting to accomplish more. That's a type of greed as well. Um, or the greed of, yes, I'll say yes to these obligations so people will think well of me. That's also a type of greed. And, and simplifying and having more margin is allowing us to live freer, but also to, to give more. Uh, of our time, of our whatever talents we have, and even our resources. And it's actually fun. I'm finding it's actually good. You know, I, I kind of stumbled into this reading Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And I remember going through, and it's just good advice. It's not the Bible. I think anyone uh, would benefit from holding something and going, does this really bring me joy? Or am I keeping it just because a relative gave it to me for Christmas three years ago? And, um, and, and giving it to someone else who needs it. Like that was just good advice. But it started me on this, this uh, it put it on my radar screen. Like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need that. And um, our light, it just feels lighter to me. Uh, so thankfully, God met us where we're at and, and God's meeting us where we're at. And we're continuing on this journey of like, I'm looking at my closet thinking about the the stat that says we wear 20% of the clothes that we have in our closet. This is true for guys and girls. <laughs> so like, why do I need that other 80% of stuff that I'm like going through? Like there's that weird shirt that I bought 10 years ago. Like, and, and just so you know, I don't think undergarments count just in case you're thinking it. I don't, those are fine. Have a lot of those. Um, but God met me where, where I'm at. And this practice of simplicity that you're invited into it's not, it's not a command. There's no arm twisting here. This is an invitation to an experiment. And uh, I, I want to make sure there's grace for wherever you're at. Um, to, it's just purely an invitation. Um, and it's a practice that isn't new. Like back in, uh, like Jesus practiced this. He's, he's talking about living the simple life. But also like in, in the monastic culture, it was called the frugal life. I thought about uh, naming the sermon The Frugal Life, but I just didn't think that would be good. That word has lost all the positive connotation in our culture. But back in the Latin, the fructify, this, it, it really meant the fruitful life. Uh, we call it simplicity in our church and, our, and in our church network, the brethren in Christ, uh, living simply so that we have margins. And, um, uh, or minimalism. And that's a lot of folks, it's good ideas, but it's not necessarily like Christian per se, but there's a lot of good ideas in there uh, that will help 
uh, if you're interested in this, uh, and a lot of those folks are uh, actually believers. They're just not writing with Christian publishing companies, uh, wanting to free us from all of these lies that we just need one more thing. So I want to, here's the invitation and a couple of ideas for you to try, new behaviors that you can try on, and really trust the Holy Spirit's nudge in this. Uh, and if, there, uh, if there's a, one of these that resonates with you, awesome, do it. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to say that living simply is not just an architectural idea or a design idea. I'm not getting these ideas from Steve Jobs and Apple. Like <laughs> we just read Luke chapter 12. This comes from Jesus. Uh, though I do think it's interesting that a lot of the simple modern, modern architecture was started by the Quakers and then uh, taken in other directions. But it's not, it's not a design concept. It's not just organizing, finding a lot of times when we organize, it's just a way to store our stuff in, in, a, in a smaller space. Like the, the idea here is to simplify and let go and create margin in our lives. And it's not just a fad. This has been around since Jesus's day. Like he was teaching us to live a simple life. Um, uh, so uh, here it is. This week, uh, in addition to spending the first 10 minutes of your day with Jesus and, and saying, God, what do you want to do today? What do you want me to be a part of today? Just have, have this on your radar as you walk around your house and walk around your garage. Is there anything that you, that you could give away? Uh, is there anything that you think, oh, someone else could use that? Is there something you have two of that you don't need two of? And maybe you give it even best. Like it's great to donate to a thrift store, but, but as a way to build community, find someone that you know and say, hey, do you want this? Uh, and what, a, what an amazing uh, way to, to build community. There, and there are whole communities out there on Facebook and apps uh, about buying nothing. You could uh, even ex expand it and, and, and connect with someone that way through the app. Like, hey, here's this extra thing that I, does anyone want it? And you never know where that might lead. Um, or maybe for you, it's, it's the decision not to, to buy something. I remember my boss, when I was my first boss at a church, I was like 24 years old. I remember for Lent, uh, he had this problem of buying books and it wasn't a problem. He was actually brilliant. But he's like, for 40 days, I'm not going to buy any new books. I'm going to read the books I have or borrow a book. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. So maybe for you, it's, it's only buying like groceries and, and um, cleaning supplies for a certain amount of time and just to try it out. Um, but overall, like, I want to invite you to take some time this week and say, God, what can I give to you? What can I release? Maybe it is spending Living simply for you means saying no to a couple social obligations or projects and just saying, I'm going to use that time to, to spend with Jesus. Because ultimately, these practice, this practice that we're talking about isn't a virtue. Simplicity isn't this virtue. It's a means to an end. This is a way to help us be with Jesus and being with Jesus helps us to become like Jesus. So ask God, like, how can I live simply? So um, I want to pray for you. And then if you haven't already got them yet, I want to invite you to get your, your uh, communion elements. I've got mine right here. And then as, a, as a, a way of using our bodies to remind us of the reality that Jesus talked about, we're going to take communion together and, um, and just spend some time in the presence of God, thanking God for his provision. So uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you that that um, 
you told us that, that, that you would provide for us, but right now uh, we're at all different kinds of levels of life stages all across the economic spectrum. We need your help to do this. And uh, this week, as you open our eyes and open our hearts to the fact that you will never leave us and never forsake us, will you please recalibrate our hearts? And if there's anything in the way of us pointing everything we are and everything we have at, at being a part of your mission, will you please bring it to our minds and give us the grace to, uh, to trust you and to live open-handedly? So we pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. So, yeah, God provided his son. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son uh, for this world. And, uh, and this is our hope. This, 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 I have a wafer. You may have a cracker or pita bread, or if you're, if you're really fancy, you may have a, a Hawaiian sweet bread kind of a thing. Um, uh, this is an example of just how much God loves us and is willing to go to provide what we really need. And um, I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, we remember Jesus' sacrifice. We remember his broken body and thank you that we now have healing and access to everything we need according to your riches and your glory. And we remember you in this moment. Verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we remind ourselves that God is the source of all life and everything we need. So dear Heavenly Father, your broken body and your bloodshed is our hope for this life and the next. And we proclaim your truth, and we remember you in this moment. Thank you, God. Thank you for spending some time with us this week. And uh, our hope is that, that you find freedom in this and that you experience God's grace in new and fresh ways. And um, until we come back together again, I wanna remind you, that uh, you can contact us anytime at sgbic.com. There's a, there's a uh, module there at the bottom of our homepage where you can drop us a line with a prayer request, a need, or a story of what God's doing in your life. Uh, please take advantage of that. And uh, also we have uh, prayer meetings throughout the week and, um, and other things going on on social media. So don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And um, uh, until we meet again, I just want to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may you know, know, know that the Lord's presence is with you. And may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.